the Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. I encourage you during this morning's sermon to keep your bulletin open to the first chapter or the first reading as there are some images after the first reading that we'll refer to in just a few minutes. There is deceit in this story from the book of Numbers, or should I better say there is the illusion of deceit in this story. Before I get too far ahead of myself, we must set today's stage. We have the Israelites, God's chosen people, freshly sprung from their captivity in Egypt, wandering in the desert and whining. Their whining, like my own children's whining, eventually gets the best of their parent, and God loses it and sends snakes to bite them. The bitten ones die. The people beg Moses to pray to God to take these snakes away. God hears their cry and tells Moses to make a big bronze snake, wrap it around a giant stick, lift it up high, and whoever looks at the snake will be healed and will live. Moses obeys. The dying people gaze upon the bronze serpent, and they are saved. So where then, you may ask, is the deceit in this story, or rather the illusion of deceit. Well, this story potentially deceives us by leading us down a false path, tricking us into believing that anything can be life-saving, in this case a snake on a stick, which we know to be false, and yet nonetheless, here it is in the Bible. Are we then to believe that snakes on sticks save lives for all times, in all places, for all people? After all, it's in the Bible. Let me add here, parenthetically, that this trickery is mixed with my absolute favorite literary device, which is irony. 
So now we have deceit, or the illusion thereof, combined with irony. We are in for a very good ride. One irony I will save for later. The other irony is that in this story, it seems as though God is instructing Moses on how to create an idol, which I think is kind of funny. But lest we get too rattled by the weirdness of this story, we need to keep calm, breathe, and realize we've seen this before. This is nothing new in the story of humanity. The image of a snake on a stick has been around a long time before Moses showed up, a thousand years before the Jews wandered in the desert. The Greeks captured this image in their own mythology. So in your bulletin, I've included three images of snakes on sticks after our first reading. You can look at them, uh, which find their roots in Greek mythology. The first of which is the Caduceus, the staff carried by the god Hermes in ancient Greek mythology, said to bring the dead to life and to offer sleep to the living. Sometimes this symbol is incorrectly used today as a symbol of medical organizations and healthcare in general, when in fact the correct symbol for such things is the third image in your bulletin, the single snake with no wings, which is called the rod of Asclepius, also hearkening back to ancient Greek mythology as a symbol of healing and medicine. The image in the middle is called the bowl of Hygieia. We get our word hygiene from that. You see the snake wrapped around a cup, which is a chalice said to have healing powers. What we discover here, then, is there's really nothing unique to the Judeo-Christian tradition about snakes and sticks being used as symbols of healing. To be clear, this same image is alive and well in our modern world, this notion of snakes on sticks, but perhaps it is a little bit more subtle It's also not new. We see this all the time. An athlete lifted up on a podium may have accomplished a miraculous athletic feat, but that athlete does not save lives forever and for always. Although athletes are often worshipped, they are not God. An actor, director, producer lifted up on a stage may have created an award-winning film that touches people's lives around the world, but that actor, director, or producer does not save lives forever And for always, actors, directors, and producers are often worshipped, but they are not God. A politician lifted up to an office may occasionally deliver on a promise, but that politician does not save lives forever and for always. Politicians are often worshipped, sometimes by themselves, but they are not God. But these are easy targets. The same dynamic can happen in ordinary human relationships as well whether it be professional, platonic, or romantic, whenever one partner holds all the power and assumes the position of superior, they stand in danger of being a snake on a stick. But when we pay attention, it's fairly easy to spot this deceit. We are able to identify snakes on sticks in our world because they take life instead of preserving it. They rob others of dignity instead of restoring it. They destroy dreams of the future instead of restoring hope. We recognize clearly snakes on sticks because they force women onto couches. They protect guns, but not clean water. They leave DACA recipients in a state of perpetual civil purgatory. They withhold forgiveness after a fight with a beloved. They make a child tremble with a threatening fist. 
They express racial superiority by claiming that African young people aren't worth dating. We live in a world of broken promises, deceit, and trickery. We live in a world of snakes on sticks, people in power who claim to have the power of God, but who most certainly do not. The major irony I alluded to earlier at the beginning of this sermon is that with all of this talk of snakes on, on sticks, we must recall that we've seen this before, not just in passing mythological references or in our news headlines, but long, long ago, long before Jesus showed up, long before the Israelites wandered in the desert, long before the Greeks built the Parthenon, we shared a garden with this snake, and we listened to it. We've been tricked before. We've been deceived before by the serpent who claimed to be wiser than God and tempted us to be likewise. We were deceived, and we ate the fruit, and we realized to our horror that we are not God, and we saw that we were naked and we were ashamed. To know the voice of God is also to know the voice of one who is not God, and the serpent is not God. But similarly, to identify a mere snake on a stick also helps us recognize the one to whom this story in Numbers ultimately points, and that is to Jesus Christ, who addresses the universal yearning for life and healing in a way unprecedented by snakes and myth. Now this is something we haven't seen before. This is something altogether new. When Christ is lifted up on a piece of wood, unlike a snake on a stick, it is not just another image of healing for those who happen to be around at that time in that place, who by sheer coincidence and good fortune can gaze upon him and live. No, when Christ is lifted up, it is for all times and for all places and for all people living and dead and unborn and nearby, far away in other galaxies. The wine in the chalice of Hygieia may have comforted those who drank from it a thousand years before Christ showed up. The staff of Hermes may have invigorated the diseased. Ritual snakes may have played a role in purification temporarily. But we know better than to believe in snakes on sticks as a forever and always cure to the human condition. We know better because we've been here before and we're smarter than that. We know better than to believe that an athlete, actor, or politician holds life in his or her hands. We know better than to ascribe ultimate power to our spouse, our friend, our parent, We know that the only name on earth or under the earth which has the power to bring dead to life is Jesus Christ. We have faith in Jesus Christ, not snakes on sticks. Jesus lifted up on a piece of wood is something entirely new because on his cross our nakedness, our shame, our guilt are met by his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. No snake can do that. No myth can accomplish that. No human being is capable of that. We don't need a God to condemn us. We are plenty capable of doing that for ourselves. We walk around in condemnation every single day. 
but we do need a God to save us. I've never met a person who needs to be convinced of their brokenness, but I've met plenty of people who need to be convinced of their worthiness. We don't need a God to condemn us. We do need a God to save us, not just a snake on a stick that saves some people sometimes, but one who saves all people all the time. This is Christ, who, as he says in the 12th chapter of John, when I am lifted up from this earth, he says, I will draw all people to myself, not some, but all, not once, but always. So then we conclude that Jesus is not just another snake on a stick like we've seen before. Jesus, who is God-made flesh, is God's new creation, And you are included in that story of ongoing creation. Unlike snakes on sticks, Jesus alone is giver of life, forgiver of sins, champion of the poor, liberator of the slave, guardian of the weak, savior of the despised, comforter of the despairing, hope to the hopeless, defender of the outcast, lover of the diseased, advocate for the vulnerable. Jesus is the one to whom we look for life in this world and for life beyond the grave. Jesus is the one who heals not only the body, but the broken heart as well. Jesus is the one who forgives us those things we cannot even forgive ourselves. In Jesus Christ, there is life abundant for everyone, no exceptions. Jesus shows his love for you by dying for you without trickery, without deceit like the serpent of old he loves without condition, without coercion, without end. In Jesus' presence, all living things will bend the knee in thanks and adoration, including snakes. That is to say, if snakes had knees to bend.